The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Saints Happy Hour needs your support so we can keep giving you the Saints coverage you love. Become a patron to help us keep giving you the best daily Saints podcast on earth. Supporting Saints Happy Hour gives you the best Saints podcast every day without any stupid ads or promos like this one. And patrons also get access to our private Discord channel where you can talk Saints 24-7, early access to podcast episodes, our world-famous booze bundle with four amazing swag items. So do it. Go to SaintsHappyHour.com and sign up today. That's SaintsHappyHour.com. Barstool Mincy of Barstool Sports here. I'm good friends with the Saints Happy Hour podcast, but I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I'm really just friends with Andrew Hughes, so I support him because I feel sorry for him. Good dude, but way too bougie to take seriously when it comes to football. Sean Payton would have done illegal things. Don't tell me I'm wrong because you know it's true. Ralph, if he was an NFL GM, a team would never win a freaking game. Trade this, sign this guy. Awful ideas and armchair quarterbacking, full-blown panic every show. Marcus Colson, Colston, I mean uh, Marcus Callaway. With Dave, here's the key. When he talks, just mute or fast forward five minutes. Hopefully he's done talking by then and headed back to the bathroom where he seems to eternally live. Put that freaking clown meme back up that I made. Jesus then Kevin, man, why the hell is he still on the show? He doesn't even watch the damn games. And somehow they keep inviting him. Budrich wants to know how uh, the doctors do. That, that ended. Podcasting poverty, man. Who that? All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Saints Happy Hour Podcast. We have a very special guest today. Uh, trade machine aficionado. Grand Twitter man. Uh, you know him. He's Fletcher Mackle from WDSU Sports. Fletcher, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a good sport, setting it up so we can have Thomas run our show uh, and ha- give, it, give the people a quality product. It's a big day for you. You got the Saints maybe getting Derek Carr. NBA trade. Is the NBA trade deadline like your Christmas? Is today like your Christmas? Yeah, first I'll apologize if I'm a little echoey because obviously I had some issues with my earbuds, so I do apologize. Mm. Um, well, and thanks for having me in, in the nice open. I don't know if I'm a special guest, but thanks for having me. Yes. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I like the trade deadline. You know, this is the one thing I always say. We have such a well-educated football fan base in our area. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom knows who the offensive linemen are for the Saints. But, like, a lot of people here didn't right. grow up with basketball, so they're not as in tune with basketball. And people, like, my mom knows a salary cap casualty in the NFL. She understands, mm. and she's 78 years old, how the NFL works. But in the NBA, trades are part of it, and crazy trades happen all the time. And people are like, make another trade. And it's like, you do understand that's how the league works. Like, David Griffin has made like 29 trades since he got here. So I always think it's funny when people, you know, sometimes I can tell they're like mocking me sometimes with like, make another trade. But I always want to tell them, like, that's nothing different than when the Saints have to make cuts or NFL teams have to make salary cap cuts and difficult decisions or things like that. But yes, to answer your question, I do like the trade deadline. It's already been insanity with Durant going <laughs> to the Suns and Kyrie going to the Mavs 
in, in the Lakers deal last night. So it'll be interesting to see if the Pelicans do anything today. Yeah, I want I want to ask you about that. So I I mean obviously we're a Saints podcast. So we don't want to spend too much time on it, but the Pelicans are in an interesting conundrum here where guys are injured and they're trying to come back. What what's your sense? Are you hearing anything or do you think they'll make a move or do you think they're just kind of waiting and hoping that the team will just get healthy and that will be enough for them to be good? So I hate to hedge. I think if they get healthy, they're good. They're really good, That's you know, right. but they haven't been healthy. I mean, Zion, Brandon Ingram, and CJ have played like 10 games together mm. this entire right. season. So I think if you get the entire team healthy, they're good. But the West just got a lot better That's right. with Durant coming to the Suns. Denver's already good. Memphis is already good. The Lakers are better. I don't know if they're the same level now as New Orleans, but they're better. I think the Pelicans are going to make a move if it moves the needle. They're already deep, so there's no fringe move to be made. They don't need an extra wing. They've already got Dyson Daniels and Najee Marshall to add depth there. They don't need just a third big because they've got Billy Hernan Gomez, and they can always hang on to Jackson Hayes. But I think if there's a move that moves the needle, that says this is a significant move for us, John Collins in Atlanta, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic in Detroit, you know, OG Ananobi, but I think he's going to be way too expensive. But if you, I think they can make a move like that. I don't think they're going to tinker, tinker on the edges. Well, I just love your trades because it, it educates me because I admit I don't know the NBA outside of like the big stars and the Pelicans. But the thing I like about you is no matter you do a trade or you do a, a Pelicans trade or a Saints trade or a mock draft, you, I'll read it and I'll be like, Fletcher, this is insanity. This is madness. But you... You explain it, and I'll, be, I'll always be like, you know, it's 60% less insane after he explained it in a, in a tweet thread or a post on WDSU. Uh, but my thing with, you, with, with the Saints as we transition is, what's your feeling about the Saints going for Derek Carr, right? Because there's a, there's a big divide, I feel like. My, my Twitter mentions are just inflamed of half the people are like, go for it, let's win the South, let's try to be competitive. And other people are like, I don't want to be 10-7 and 7 and lose a first-round playoff game. That's boring. I wanna, I, if you're not trying for the Super Bowl, you're not trying at all, like burn it down and let's start again. Like, What's your, what's your sense of this? Because this is a monumental thing the Saints are trying to do here with Derek Carr. Yeah, so it's funny. I did an article for WDSU.com two years ago, and this was right when Drew Brees retired. Jameis was a free agent. Taysom was maybe the guy he had played some that year, obviously, as a starter. And I wrote a big column and said, is door number three Derek Carr? Because at the time, mm -hmm. John Gruden, there were rumors that he wasn't Gruden's guy. They may pursue another veteran or want to draft their guy. So I said, hey, maybe he's the heir apparent that, you know, maybe he's the guy that could come in here. Look, he's got a ton of talent. Individually, he's done great things. He's the all-time leading passer. He broke all Ken Stabler's records with the Raiders. He's a four-time Pro Bowler. But he's got one career playoff game under his belt because he didn't even play in the playoff game when the Raiders made the playoffs in 2016. He was injured. So the only playoff appearance is last year. And so I could see it from two perspectives, that he's – He's Andy Dalton take two. He's a guy who had some success, but not enough success, and he's transitioning to the wrong way in his career. But I am also a guy who looks at him, and I watched a lot of tape of him, 
And I could see like the Matthew Stafford situation of Stafford had no success in Detroit, but we knew he was awesome. Like the arm talent was unbelievable, but he'd been the two playoffs and lost them both and, and had no team success. So I can sell myself on both. I, since I liked, since I liked Carr two years ago, I lean more towards the Saints defense is pretty good. The Saints still have some solid pieces. The Saints are never going in. As long as Mickey Loomis is here, they are never going in. Anybody who wants them to tear it down and rebuild and start over and push the reset button, I felt like they could have done that last year. I swore to all my colleagues in the media, the reason why they got the second pick in the first round was to get the quarterback that they were hedging. <laughs> they had Jameis, and then they were going to draft Kenny Pickett with that second first-round draft pick, and they had the, the immediate guy and the future guy, and it never happened. So now I think they're all in on Carr. I, I think by the a week from now, he's going to when, – when the week is up or sometime next week, I think he'll end up being a New Orleans Saint, and, and I'm fine with it. I think that they feel like they're closer than they are. I think we all see holes. But the one thing I'll give them credit for is – the NFC South is terrible. I think they think they can win it. The NFC overall is wide open. I mean, a year ago at this time, the Eagles were being talked about for getting Russell Wilson. So, like, nobody thought the Eagles were this juggernaut. Like, is San Francisco going to be really great with Brock Purdy or Trey Lance? I don't know. Like, is Rodgers even going to be in Green Bay? Probably not. Brady's gone. So, I don't fault them for saying we're in it to win it right now. Forget taking a step back. Maybe if they were in the AFC with – you know, yeah. with Mahomes and, and Allen and in in Burrow and and you know everything they have there, Herbert. Then I'd say you know even Peyton and and Russell Wilson. But in the NFC, I'm kind top of top okay five quarterback, saying, right? Yeah, Carr's I'm, top five, right? Yeah, I'm just kind of okay with them saying, okay, get Derek Carr and let's see mm -hmm. what we have for the next few years. But we, they just don't. The mindset is not for them. I think you have a big enough body of work on Mickey Loomis now and in, in, in his top lieutenants. They just, they're not going to rebuild. They're not going to like, they're not going to whitewash it, so to say. <laughs> Katrina led them to that once. And even then, they could have drafted Matt Leinart or Vince Young and they didn't go that route. They went with a guy that couldn't pick up a ball. <laughs> so, like, I just feel like anybody who hopes for that it's just not going to happen. So I, I, I'm fine with Derek Carr. I like Derek Carr. He's probably a little too expensive, but I'm going to look at it and say I see more positives than negatives. But Fletcher, I want to get your take, kind of staying on this topic for a minute. Um, Ralph kind of talked about the division of the fan base, and I feel like just being in the Twitter Thunderdome and fighting with people, I, I, I feel like there's a clear division between – like the perspective of people like, you know, we're roughly the same age and, and, you know, people that experienced latter stages, Mora where the saints were three and 13 and uh, the Ditka era and the Jim Hazlitt era where it, especially towards the end Katrina year, there was a three and 13 year in there. So we, as fans, we've experienced rock bottom. We know what it's like to go through a season like that. And, and I, I don't want any part of that. So I'm like, Listen, if, if you can get Derek Carr and you can be 10 and 7 and win the NFC South, like that sounds great. That sounds like an entertaining season for me. I think you have a lot of fans that are maybe post 2006 that all they've tasted is wins. And 7 and 9 is maybe the worst season they've ever seen, 7 and 10. So maybe they're a little bit spoiled, but I, I think their perspective is look, 
if you're not trying for the Super Bowl, if we're not trying to maintain what we had with Sean Payton, it's not good enough. And, and I think to a lot of those people, Derek Carr and, and, and to, by extension, DA a little bit, they, it just feels like they're never going to get me where I want to go, and I see that clearly, so I can't ever be entertained by it. I'm curious, as someone who covers the team, do you feel that fan division, and uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I do. Somebody told me this a long time ago that Twitter is not real life. So as much as I <laughs> like right. Twitter and enjoy Twitter, because I, I do, um, I also kind of compartmentalize it and realize that, like, you know, Joe Black in gold may be some off-the-reservation lunatic in Lakeview that, like, we would never take seriously. So that's why I always kind of compartmentalize the responses and what people are saying and doing on Twitter, because I always feel like it's not real life. There's that great meme that I love of the two dogs, like just <laughs> going at each other through the fence, barking and salivating. And then the fence opens and they kind of are licking each other and sniffing <laughs> each other and kind of hanging out. And that's kind of, to me, is what social media is, that people say things that they would never do if we're or never say if we're standing face to face. Um, but I do understand what you're saying is that there's a big divide right now. People like want to give Dennis a chance or people hate Dennis and think he is the worst thing to ever happen in the right. NFL. Um, I get Derek Carr. He's a polarizing player because, like I said, individually, you can sell him in a vacuum of look at this guy's stats. But from a team concept, he's never had a lot of success. Jameis was the same way. Jameis was polarizing. There were people that were like, look at the 5,000 yards, the arm talent. He was a Heisman winner, number one. But then there's a lot of people that say, look, he just never had any success. So it's what makes sports talk radio, podcasts, what I do on TV, and certainly social media fun and entertaining. But you're right. There's, everybody has a voice now because of social media. And there is a massive divide on who and what the Saints are. But what I would say is this. There's no sure thing anywhere, right. anytime, because of social media. Somebody is always going to hate something, and someone <laughs> is always going to love something. And that's why I can't let it kind of, like, push you too much in one direction. Um, I think about this, and this is an example I give people, is you, because what you mentioned is very true, and I, I did a commentary on this, that for our generation, we knew the depths of despair in the bagheads. Right. But if you were a kid that was eight or 10 years old when Breeze and Peyton got here, you have never known anything but consistent success. Even in a few bad years, like the eight and eight and seven and nine years, they were in it until the bitter end. I mean, even this year at seven and 10, yeah. the Saints were in it until week 17 when they were officially eliminated. Because of, So you've never known bottoming out like we knew bottoming out. So I think that's great. They changed the franchise for the better forever, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, which is amazing. But the, the expectations are higher. The one thing I try to tell people is, so before Twitter even existed in 2006, and when Facebook was still for like college kids at the time in 06 and hadn't really become a mainstream thing for regular people, we did web polls. And, and, <laughs> and what did the web poll say? Log on and vote. And so when the Saints signed Drew Brees at WDSU, I still have the graphic, I still have the clip. We did a web poll. What do you think of the Saints signing Drew Brees? And it got like 3,000 
thousand votes, which for the for the time was insane for people to log on and vote. That was like a a massive number at the time for a digital online on our website. And fifty one percent of the people said sign him. Forty nine percent of the people said <laughs> draft another quarterback. <laughs> right. So like. Breeze was polarizing. It just wasn't the social media era of the time that we have now. So that's kind of how I look at Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr could be the next Drew Brees. Maybe he just needs to feel loved and consistency and weapons and a new start. And, and maybe he is Matthew Stafford. Maybe he can take this team to new heights with some playmakers. Or maybe he's Andy Dalton or Jameis and he's going the wrong way. Yeah, there's that poll. And it's like, you know, I, I love to show that to people. And say, there it is. You there know, it is. so Drew Brees. Yeah. Drew Brees barely got over the line. If, if he almost had to do a runoff, if it would have been Louisiana politics, right? Right. I mean, imagine, imagine that today. Imagine yeah. the Saints signing quarterback that Nick Saban, who was still a really prominent figure at the time, and the Miami Dolphins that are a storied organization in in you know this franchise that looked like they were on the up. Said, nah, nah, nah. We're good. We don't want that dude. Like, and, and Breeze won't We'd be able to throw. Minds. And he won't be able to throw to training camp. And then he's going to be on a pitch count. And we're not going to draft Matt Leiner or Vince Young. We're, we're signing this guy and we're moving on. Like, imagine that happening today. Twitter you know? would have dead bodies. We'd ha- it would be, it would be, it would be. It would be Mad Max Thunderdome. Podcast ads are the worst, right? Everyone hates them. You can get Saints Happy Hour ad-free by becoming a patron. That's right. Patrons get access to every show ad-free. No ads ever. You also get Breaking Saints News Podcast, Saints Player Grades, early access to shows, and behind-the-scenes access. Plus, you get access to our Discord channel, where you can talk Saints 24-7 in private with other Saints Happy Hour listeners. And you get our world-famous booze bundle with four swag items. Amazing. So sign up and never have to suffer through another ad again. Go to SaintsHappyHour.com. That's SaintsHappyHour.com and sign up today. Um, I I remember at that time, Fletcher, one of my all-time Saints takes, which was the Saints were making a big mistake signing (laughs) Breeze and that they should have done everything they could to reunite Reggie Bush with Matt Leinart and draft Matt, find a way to draft Matt Leinart, trade up if you have to, but pair them together. And Matt Leinart was going to lead them to a Super Bowl and and getting Breeze was was a massive mistake. So uh, I'll I'll out myself. Uh, That was something I said at that time. I'm cu- I'm curious, Fletcher. You've had some crazy, wild takes. Do you have anything that bad? Uh, I mean, I've had some bad takes. Yeah, I mean, look, I wanted them to draft Paxton Lynch when they were <laughs> when we were, when we were searching. He had great hair, by the way. I could see why you would love him. Yeah, when we were, when we were searching for Drew Brees' replacement, you know, that was kind of that 15, 16, 17, like range. Now, I did say they should draft Patrick Mahomes, too. I had him like an every. I watched that Texas Bowl when they played LSU, and I, I think there's a tweet where I was like, I don't know if he's going to be like what he's going to be, but he's fun to watch. And so, um, so yeah. So, I, but my, was, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I just remember when the Saints, it just felt like they were looking for like Breeze's heir apparent. And this is before Taysom. So this is before Mahomes. So I remember like right in that range, I guess it was 15, 16, 17, whatever Paxton Lynch got drafted. I was like, Paxton Lynch, that's my guy. He's he's going to be developed behind Drew Brees. So that was a, a pretty bad take. 
and then I'm sure I've had some some NBA trades through the years that <laughs> have been a little bit off the wall is as well. Um, I'm trying to think if I had another like I, you know I think I I think I mentioned when uh, when the Tulane job was open once. I think I lobbied hard for Ed Ogeron. And then Ooh. somebody told me that <laughs> Rob Ryan, this was before he became the LSU coach. This is like when Ogeron was like, I think it's, it's I when they hired CJ, you know? And so, um, so I, I lobbied for Ogeron to be the Tulane coach. Um, I think that somebody told me that, uh, I guess at the time, somebody in the Tulane administration, this is like before Troy Dannon, that they had, reached out to Rob Ryan about maybe the Tulane coach before they hired Willie Fritz. So I've had some, Ooh. some crazy takes that I thought those were good ideas. Not like just <laughs> reporting them as news, but like, but like jumping, jumping on board and supporting that idea. I thought Brandon Brown would fix the Saints okay. defense. Rob, <laughs> Rob 20, I'll, I love Rob Ryan forever. 2013 was amazing. I just, you know, um, but Fletcher, to your point about, you know, Twitter, there's a lot of things, but I feel like the national media, they, like, some of them don't understand the Saints, but there's this, there's this, like, angst, and they, they really kind of dislike the fact that Gail cuts these checks for the salary cap. Like, the Saints, they spent $280 million of cash in 2022, more than any team. So, like... Do you feel that the national media, like what, what, when you talk to national people and that, what's, their, what's the perspective of the Saints, you think, of how they're run? So I have, I think, what respect. I think there's a lot of respect nationally for the Saints. And I'll say that without question, that there wasn't. When I first started working here in 02, 02 to 05, 06, <laughs> no. I mean, it was like the laughing stock. Like, hey, hardly any national media came. And when they did come, it was only to kind of dump or make fun of this franchise that has never done anything, really. Um, and then sympathy after Katrina. Um, but now, in recent years, I mean, and look, and I've gotten to know a lot of the national media because they've been down here in different cycles, you know, heavily at times when the Saints were really good. Um, I, and so I would... And I use the term compartmentalize, kind of like Twitter in the main, mm -hmm. the real world. I would kind of compartmentalize some of the national people. I think there's there's certain national people that understand who and what the Saints are and how they operate. And those aren't the people tweeting about mm -hmm. their 50 million. What are they going to do? I, I think sometimes it's people that don't follow it as closely or aren't the people that you should listen to. You know, politically, a lot of people, you heard that during the last election cycles of like, follow the right people, get your information from the right sources. Don't just see something on Facebook and go, oh my God, that must be true. So I think that sometimes <laughs> like the people that are doing that are not the people that I would listen to or that, pe now again, people do listen to them, unfortunately. So when somebody puts out there, you know, like, uh, like there's national people that put like, Gail Benson may sell the Pelicans. It's like, but she's not. She clearly said what the succession plan is and that she's not. So the people that still write that to me, I write off as idiots. But unfortunately, there's people that believe those idiots. And so same thing with the Saints salary cap. I don't hear Diana Rossini talking about, like, the Saints are in jail salary cap-wise because she knows how they function and what they do and the mechanisms they use to circumvent the salary cap or creatively navigate the salary cap. Same with a lot of other network people. But there are national people out there that maybe— 
don't cover this team or follow this team that look at that and go, man, oh man, like they're in salary cap jail. And it's like, yeah, well, they've been there for a decade and it hasn't affected them. Fletcher, I want to ask you about Jim Moore because uh, you work with him very closely and you've had a chance to kind of... Well, Thomas has got a clip ready to go, Andrew. All right, we'll fire that. Let's go. Thomas, play the clip. 69 teams in the NFL have opened the season 0-2, 0-3. Like the Saints right now, none have made the playoffs. So dare I say, Coach, it's September. The Saints are 0-3, but is the season over? No, the season... God, I hate to hear that. I hate to hear that. I mean, it's just amazing. I I love that rant because it it resonates with me so much. It's like you never give up, you know, all that that, that whole mantra. But... uh, Fletcher, we, we kind of, so we love Mora, and uh, man, I wish there was a coach out there in the media today that was still putting out sound bites like he does. I mean, he, he just had a way with words, and he had a way of saying things impassionately, he still does, and uh, we, we actually, we always like mind for clips of him to this day. I think you had a, a recent interview with him where you were asking what he liked to eat. And he said, I'm not a big fish guy. And we were like, oh, we got to grab that. So we grabbed that. And anytime someone mentions Adam Troutman, we drop in. I'm not a big fish. There we go. So um, anyway, he's been like uh, revered by our podcast and and, uh, we love Mora. What's it been like interacting with him all these years and uh, being able to kind of experience him? So it's, I appreciate you asking me that because it's one of those things like you all, I, I grew up here. I was a Saints fan. You know, my parents had season tickets. So I, that was when I was a kid. I mean, Mora was like, you know, my you know, early childhood, high school, when I started college. Those 11 years that he was here were like formative years for me. You know, he got fired like right when I was in college. And so, um, so I looked at him as kind of like what you all did, like a, a passionate guy, the former Marine, like a man's man who like, you know, would tell it to you straight and was not afraid to be passionate and kind of, you know, like, I think Jeff Saturday said outside of himself sometimes. Mm. And uh, so in 2010, after the Saints won the Super Bowl, our TV station said, let's try to get somebody on as an analyst. You know, everybody's like the Saints appetite was insatiable for, I'm sure, y'all's audience, our audience. So, I mean, we went from doing half hour shows to hour shows to 90 minute shows to three hour long shows because our sales department could sell them and people would watch them. Like we look at the ratings and go, man, three hours. And there was never like a lull in the <laughs> right. audience. And so, um, so the following year we said, okay, let's get somebody. And so we brainstormed and Jim Mora had gone from coaching the saints. He went a year at NBC. Then he went to coaching the Colts. Then when he got fired there, he, he went to the NFL network and he had just retired from the NFL network and was living with his wife, Connie, in Palm Desert, California. So we reached out and said, hey, we've got the Sunday night games on NBC. And because our company, Hearst, owns a piece of ESPN, we also simulcast the the Monday night games. So we're going to be doing this primetime home of the Saints. The Saints have like seven primetime games this year, including, you know, like the Thursday night opener on on uh, on on NBC when they played you know the, the 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 Vikings the rematch of the NFC Championship to open the season and everything, so we said would you be interested in coming in for the primetime games like as an analyst and and I was like will he do it like how does this work how does like how does this work with network people and former coaches it's kind of a new experience for all of us and he goes great I'd love to do it so since 2010 
He's been coming in for all of the games on our air and then like a playoff game or anything big for the Saints. And and I've gotten to know him. And I like I I it was funny. I uh I the first time he came in, I I'd never met him. My my family had some mutual friends of his, so you know, I told him like I think you play golf with my dad and I'm friends with this person and that person. So we talked on the phone and we picked him up at the airport and one of our producers, we said, "Look, this is like a man's man. This is like, you know, a, a Marine and a football coach. Like, where are we going to take him? And we're like, this man needs a steak. Like, we're going to bring him to, like, Mr. John's Steakhouse. Like, let's go. And, like, we sit down. Like, we introduce ourselves. And, of course, like, when you introduce yourself to somebody for the first time, you want to be, like, professional, like, strong handshake, like, good eye contact. And then we sit down at the table. And the first thing he says is he goes, why did you all pick a steakhouse? I, when I come to New Orleans, I want New Orleans food. Couldn't we have gone someplace? And I thought, God, this is not like starting out very That well. is f***ing stupid. Wake yeah. up. So, so I thought, oh, no. Like, we were already off on the wrong foot. We should have brought him to, like, Commander's Palace and let him get some kind of duck dish or rabbit. And I'm like, oh, no. He's like, he's like maybe next time we can go to someplace real New Orleans-y. And I'm like... Wow. But no, but over the last 13 years, I've gotten to know him great. And, and we talk a lot and we text a lot. And, uh, and I, it's one of those things I joke that I looked at him from the outside is Robert De Niro and taxi driver, kind of mm -hmm. like intense and oh. passionate and like methodical. And now I've learned that he's like Robert De Niro and meet the Fockers. He's kind of like this goofy, <laughs> funny, like, awesome guy that wants to talk about movies and life and makes these quirky jokes and and that's kind of the guy that i've gotten his to know. dad worked in his dad worked in hollywood i did not realize that until i saw him on, i think it was the rich eisen show where he would review movies like yeah. he is a crazy movie person because his father was like an editor or something for, a, yeah. for one of the big hollywood studios he grew up he grew up in California. He went to Occidental. He met his wife, Connie, when she was at USC. But he always tells me, like, his father was friends with Ronald Reagan. Like, his father worked yeah. in Hollywood, in the film industry, and he grew up out in that Eagle Rock area by Occidental. And, uh, and so, yeah, so he's an L.A. person mm -hmm. kind of, like, through and through. So he loves movies and loves, still goes to the movies and did that podcast with Rich Eisen about movies. And he'll text me, have you seen this yet? And he's still catching up on, like, the streaming services. Connie has to help him with, like, mm. the streaming services. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, but no, so I've gotten to know him, and he's been great. And I, and I think he's still really passionate about the Saints and still likes talking about it. And he, he really is – he and his son are very close. So the funny thing is, is he, he was super into UCLA football, and now he's super into UConn football. Like, when he comes in, he's got, like, the app, and, and he's like – have you heard of this kid in Florida? I'm like, what kid? And it's like some four-star recruit that his son's recruiting the Yukon out of like Daytona Beach. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't know. Jim. Like, I have no idea who that kid is. But I hope, I hope Jimmy gets him, you know? Yeah. So I mean, he got Yukon to a bowl, man. He's doing he's doing work. Big deal. <laughs> so, you know, only minutes left, Fletcher. How is it like? covering DA in the difference between covering DA and Sean Payton. And I asked that in the context of Benjamin Albright, like the way he went at Sean Payton, we don't have to go into details, but you work in media. You've done it your whole career. I never saw anything like it. 
So if you could talk about that and then talk about the difference between covering DA and Sean Payton, because I feel like it's incredibly different from everything. So the, the difference is this, is that, look, Sean Payton was accessible. I mean, every day after training camp, he met the media. But Sean Payton was definitely more, uh, I mean, he was definitely a little bit edgier and intense <laughs> and, and, and was not, like, Dennis is more affable. And Dennis is a little bit more like, I'll answer any questions. And, and look, Dennis is a really smart guy. And, and, and Dennis is confident and smart and, and, like, answers anything. Sean would answer anything, but there was times when he would get pointed about his answers or he didn't like certain questions and he would let you know it. And uh, it was just more intense and, and hard-boiled, so to say. I do think he changed over the years and became, you know, like he, he had that quote just recently when he was introduced as the Broncos of, you know, people think I'm this tyrant. I'm not this tyrant. I don't think he's a tyrant. And he even said, at times I may be, but not all the time. <laughs> he could definitely be, like, I think bullyish at times, but I, I never had like any run-ins with him. And I think if you had to ask a tough question, you had to ask a tough question. He was just less patient than Dennis. Dennis is very patient and very thoughtful and is, you know, that's the difference in them, that Dennis is maybe a little softer touch, so to say. But I think the league is a softer touch now. Like Peyton is a little bit more of like, this is the way that, I, I mean, you heard that press conference and somebody asked about Russell Wilson having his own private coach. Peyton's like, that's foreign to me. That's not going to happen. I think Dennis realizes the world has changed. You handle players a little differently. You you handle the media a little differently. So, you know, Dennis, I would just say, is a little bit less intense than Sean um, from a coverage standpoint. And the, the guy you mentioned in Denver, I, I think it'll be interesting because you're right. He definitely was like the anti-Sean Peyton guy and made no secret of the fact that he he didn't want Sean. He he didn't think it was a good fit. They gave up too much for him. And it wasn't I mean, happening. He, he was right. adamant it wasn't happening. Yeah. I, I know. I mean, he was like, oh, not over the top, but I mean, he definitely pushed his chips to one side of the table and, and, and you know, crapped out, so to say, because I think he's like the sideline reporter too. So that's going to yeah. be an interesting dynamic of how they work and how that, gets figured out. I'll say this. I, I had a similar situation, but it worked out in the long run for me. So when Alvin Gentry got here, I I hit him pretty hard. That I thought I thought the 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 Pelicans made a massive mistake firing Monty Williams. I, I thought that it was just it was embarrassing that they come off the playoffs. The, the team liked this guy. He was a good young coach and they fired him. And then when they hired Alvin Gentry, I called it like a pedestrian hire, a oh. copycat hire, because they were trying to duplicate Golden State South. Like Dell Demps basically said, we want to, whenever you try to imitate something, it fails. I mean, how many people tried to imitate, how many Patriots assistants got hired and they were failures? How many of, like, Joe Lombardi come here and turn this offense into the Saints offense and it doesn't work? So, like, hiring people to imitate something. So I, I went at Gentry pretty hard. And we didn't have a great start. But, like, eventually we became pretty close. And, like, I, I mean, I told Alvin Gentry this. He reminded me a lot of my dad. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean that as a great compliment. And we became very friendly. But I don't know if Sean and Benjamin Albright are going to be real friendly. But, look, it worked out for me and Gentry. <laughs> and, and, and I was his first year, I said, terrible hire, like, <laughs> massive mistake. And then when they, when they, when they bottomed out, in 16 and 17, I was like, pitchforks out, fire him. But then, <laughs> oh, no. like, then we talked it out and, and came to a, a happy place and became pretty close at the end of his tenure here. 
Well, I think Albright's off to a good start that he brought uh, Juicy Fruit. Juicy Fruit, fruit yeah. Um, I want to touch on one thing you said, though, Fletcher, which kind of got the wheels turning. I agree with everything you've said about the differences between DA and Sean and, and just how, how they're received by the media and how their, their approach. But one, I'm just wondering if you can help me square something, which is that I, Sean, Sean Payton, as you said, he's, he's off the cuff. He can be a little bit more reactive. He can shoot from the hip a little bit. He goes by instinct. Uh, Dennis Allen, like you said, he's smart. He's a lot more methodical. He's a lot more measured. He's a lot more likely to kind of take in uh, the nuances of things and how this is going to make someone feel, how they're going to react. So what's really strange to me is how this whole Jameis Winston situation played out because I do feel like he mismanaged that a little bit where one second he says, yeah, Jameis is healthy now, uh, but we're going with Andy. And then a little bit later... He, he kind of backtracks and says, actually, well, I don't know that Jameis is going to be 100% at all this year, but we'll, we'll continue to evaluate it. And so I just felt like it, it was clear to me by the end that that relationship between Jameis and Dennis Allen was broken. And I think part of it was maybe promises were made and things changed, but I couldn't help but feel like how Dennis navigated that through the media was not perfectly orchestrated. So I'm wondering about your thoughts there. Yeah, I would agree. And I'll I'll go even a little bigger, like a wider perspective. I think the entire Jameis Winston situation from last year has been an absolute embarrassment. How they've handled it, what they did, and their whole plan and process. To me, in my 20 years here, I can't think of a more poorly executed situation It's one of the top five, and here's why. Not only what you're saying, but they didn't have to give Jameis. They're going to eat like $8 million in dead money this year when they cut Jameis. There There was no market, no market for Jameis Winston, no market. So, like, all those things that people reported about Indianapolis sent the plane, BS. Like, completely untrue. Like, he was Indianapolis' fallback if they couldn't get Matt Ryan. He didn't put Indianapolis on ice. Indianapolis had him on ice. The Saints had him on ice while they chased Deshaun Watson. But then when you lost Deshaun Watson, you bid against yourselves. Like, what was Jameis Winston's offer? Pittsburgh had their quarterback. You know, every, mm-hmm. every job that was out there was filled. You know, Seattle said we're going with Geno Smith and, and Drew Locke. Like, there was no landing spot for him except New Orleans. So they gave him a two-year deal with, like, guaranteed money that was going to affect them years going forward. They didn't have to do that. And I understand they they probably said, well, look, we think we can be good. We got to save face. We want to make him look like he's respected and not dumped on. And and they they acknowledged that there were some difficult conversations. But I was like, why did they give him this deal? This is crazy. If he was their fallback, they could have got him for a one-year cheapo deal and said, look, this the market is what the market is. They've done that with so many players through the years of we're going to give you market value or see what the market is and we'll figure out something. But they bid against themselves for Jameis. Then all offseason, they said he was the guy. And then immediately they punt on him in week in week three of the after week three. And and yeah, I 
Like, I think they could have used the injury excuse all season long. They could have just said he's not healthy and we like Andy because I asked the question and it surprised everybody when Dennis said, no, he's he's healthy. We're going with Andy. And everybody went scrambling to our phones and computers <laughs> yep. and we couldn't believe it. So I think everything, how they've handled every single aspect from when they when Deshaun Watson went to Cleveland and they pivoted back to Jameis, every aspect has been, and I don't think Jameis is is innocent in all this. I think he, his representatives, muddied the situation with, you know, trying to exasperate his worth with Indianapolis when it wasn't there. The back injury, I, I don't know if they needed to leak that, you know, as if like, oh, if he doesn't play well, he's injured, and if he plays great, he's a hero for you. Realize that. Like, I, I think the Saints probably wish that would have been kept in house. I, I certainly think Jameis was upset with the the way the thing unfolded, and and Dennis obviously believing more in in Andy than in him. The one thing I get back to though that always centered me on this was the team never turned on Dennis. I was out there yeah. three days a week during the season. The players, the veterans to the young guys, stood by Dennis through thick and thin, and they were it wasn't artificial, it wasn't fake. They they truly never lost confidence in him and stood by him. And when the change was made at quarterback and the decision was made, there wasn't chirping of, you know, I don't know what's going on here, man, or I'm just, I'm just here. I'll follow the coaches. Like the veterans stood behind Andy and they didn't like, they didn't come out vocally in, in, in trash Andy or the organization, you know, and, and look, even when Peyton was here, if you remember, I remember Brandon cooks popped off a little bit, like he needed to eat, you know? And so we've seen some of that, and there was an ample opportunity for guys to do that. So, uh, again, that's the one thing I kind of balanced myself on is there's nobody saying those things. But I just think from the start last year, from an organizational perspective, a coaching perspective, in small part on the player perspective, that the entire situation was handled poorly and was, was fumbled in, in a way that, you know, was pretty embarrassing. Final question, and then we'll get out of here. We only have a couple minutes. Uh I talk a lot. So, no, I know. It's oh, no, it's great. great. It's, we love the, it. The, the, the stories are great. But today's NBA trade deadline, and the Saints may or may not get David Carr. We'll see. What is your... Davis. Did you just say Derek? Did you say David? I did. I said Ralph David. Can't so say you say no, right? I, had I had to correct I, myself last night on the air. I said David. I, I'm sorry, Derek Carr. I'm, I say David. I, I won't get it right ever. But, Fletcher, we got the NBA trade deadline. We got the Saints chasing Carr. What is your dream scenario for the, for the Pelicans today and the Saints the rest of their offseason? What's your dream scenario for, for that? Okay. I mean, my dream scenario for the Saints would be find some miracle way to get up and get Bryce Young because I'm like the biggest Bryce Young guy ever. <laughs> but, like, they're not getting the number one. That, but since dream, that's my dream. That Mickey Loomis trades, like, five first-round draft picks and they get Bryce Young. Five? And, and I, I love Bryce Young. Like, like, I'm the biggest Bryce Young guy ever. But that's not going to happen. But that's my dream. And so, but I would say a, a realistic dream is sign Derek Carr. Hope he's more Stafford than, than, than Andy Dalton. Um, draft solid guys. They, yeah, they ate at Ralph's in the Park last night. Um, draft solid guys. Like, get a defensive. It's not sexy. Get a guard to replace Pete. Get an interior defensive lineman. Get help where you need help and have a quarterback, and, and hopefully win the NFC South. And my, my deal for the Pelicans is to make a, a move today that moves the needle, because I think the Pelicans are really good. And I would have told you that they have a chance to come out of the West 
with Denver and Memphis. Now I think Phoenix is going to be right there, but I still think when they're healthy, if they added John Collins or Bojan Bogdanovic from Detroit or from Atlanta, I think if they made a move for one of those two guys, that would be my dream scenario today. I love it, guys. You can find, you know where to find Fletcher Mackle. He's at WDSU doing sports reporting everywhere. Find him on Twitter. He'll educate you in the NBA. He's amazing. Fletcher, uh, we can't thank you enough for being patient with us, for hanging out with us. We're going to do this. We're going to do this again. I feel like we're, I feel like we're going to have to do this again uh, when Saints camp starts uh, and get your thoughts. This, is, this has been uh, tremendous. We can't thank you enough for this. No, thanks for having me. Sorry I had the audio Please. issues started. And Andrew, sorry, like, I blocked you at one time on Twitter. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> no, he deserves it. We're good, man. He deserves it. So, Fletcher, thanks for joining us. And, guys, go to saintshappyhour.com and subscribe. Become a patron with the best Saints podcast on earth. We need your support to keep doing great interviews like this. So, for Thomas running the show back in Poland, for Fletcher, for Andrew, I'm Ralph. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you again tomorrow.